You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. Very, very glad to have all of you along with me for the day, or at least for a short, brief half hour where we're going to get down to business and learn something from a very interesting woman. So I wanted to get global for a second as we begin here. Did you know that women make up 40% of the global workforce, and yet we only hold 24% of senior management roles around the world, and that this figure has not budged in 10 years, it's pretty astonishing when you think about all of the advances that women have made in education, in starting businesses. And the next question, of course, is why is this still happening? Well, Research shows it can, of course, be because of gender bias. But what's even more troubling is that We also, we being women, we shy away from leadership positions, too. The Harvard Business Review found that women are less likely to apply for executive roles if we've faced rejection before. I totally get that, but we've got to learn to blow through it, which is why we have Angie Morgan with us. Angie served as a captain in the U.S. Marine Corps before co-creating LeadStar, which specializes in helping small to mid-sized businesses develop leaders at every employment level. She's also the best-selling co-author of Leading from the Front and Spark, How to Lead Yourself and Others to Greater Success. Hi, Angie. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jean, for having me. And what a great topic to be talking about today. Oh, we think so, too. You know, and we were talking before we launched the show that I don't think we've ever had a captain from the Marine Corps or or anybody from the Marine Corps on before. So thank you for your service and, and thank you for being here. Well, I had a great time on active duty, and it doesn't surprise me that you haven't had. <laughs> There's not that many specifically. Um Women in the Marine Corps, it's an organization where there's four, um, like there was a thousand women officers out of a 170,000 person force when I was serving. And wow. so as you think about the gender dynamics that you were discussing, um, yeah, definitely, um, I would say definitely less than 20% of that organization's upper ranks were women. How, how so. long were you in the Marines and, and how did your training and your position as a captain shape your views on leadership? I think the most important thing I learned in the Marine Corps was how to lead and really understanding the nature of true leadership. I went to a great college, um, University of Michigan. Go blue out there for uh, many fellow Wolverine fans. We're pretty proud of our school. Yeah, no no kidding. (laughs) (laughs) What I found interesting, though, about that experience, like going to undergrad, um, you know, in our fight songs, you know, we are the leaders and the best. And I did not learn leadership in my formal undergrad education. I learned everything I knew about leadership in the Marine Corps. 
and I learned that it was a behavior. It was about building influence with people. Even in this tough hierarchical organization, leadership was about those interpersonal relationships. And what was interesting was when I left active duty and started working in pharmaceutical sales in the private sector, how different the term leadership and leader were used. You know, they would talk about our management team being our leadership team as if you had to have a job title to be a leader. And my background was completely different. Everyone in the Marine Corps knew that they were a leader, even if it was just leading themselves. So going from an area where you learn leadership is a verb to uh, leadership is a noun was a really just really interesting. And that was part of the reason why my business partner, who I'd served with in the Marine Corps, started our business. We wanted to reshape um, people's understanding about true leadership and make it more accessible. So when, especially we think of women, women are less likely to see themselves as leaders. But when you start talking about what true leadership is, light bulbs go off like, oh, oh, I, I do they- that. Right. Yeah. So in the book, you say, and you, and you just said as well, it's not about the job title, that instead it's about action and behavior. Can you elaborate? Absolutely. Uh, well, we start off the book, and it was very important to us in Spark to just take on these three common myths about leadership. Like, leaders are born. That's not necessarily true. I mean, we're born with some ability to lead, but most of our leadership skills development comes with time and maturation and influence and intention. So that was one thing that we wanted to talk about. Another thing was that leaders trust their instincts. That's just not true. Some of our instincts can lead us down a very not popular um non-leader path. Like if I get surprised on a busy day, my instinct is just to lose my mind, but that's not leadership behavior. If you've worked with somebody like that, you recognize that that's not about building influence, that's alienating people. And then the final thing um, that we wanted to tackle right away was that the idea that a title makes you a leader. And I think for anybody here who's had a bad boss, you know that being a manager or a supervisor does not make you a leader. When I think about some of the myths of leadership, I often think that leaders have to be extroverts. What did you find along that path? That's a really great question. And I think that, yes, we're influenced by people who perhaps are more outgoing um, and have a little bit more charisma. Yet the reality is, is that's just not true. So again, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, um, you know, especially if you're an introvert, you know, there may be things that you can do to enhance your leadership ability, like speak up more, know that this is something that you have to focus on to develop, but that's not going to determine, you know, how well you influence people or how well you inspire others. And so I think that that's really important that regardless of some of these personality traits um, that you come to the table with, that that's not they're not going to be barriers because there's other behaviors that you can develop, which is what we try to talk and spark about doing that'll make you more influential in your world. When I talk about taking control of your money, often I come to the fact that there's just a point where you decide that you're going to do it. You may hit a a life event or it could be a good event or it could be a bad event. You may hit an important birthday. You may suffer the death of somebody important to you, whether it's a parent or a spouse. You may just have a baby. And at that point, you decide, all right, it's just time and I am going to do this. Is the same true of leadership? Do people just hit a point in their life where they decide, well, if nobody else is going to run this, I'm going to run this? <laughs> For some, absolutely. They they say enough is enough, but wouldn't it be better, though, if people don't have to hit a pain point? 
um, before they have these, you know, dramatic realizations. And that's some of the work that we do is helping people realize, like, you may not be at a point where, you know, you're feeling the pain of not building your leadership skills. But if you can start now, like, again, if, you, if you're if you new to a business or an organization, or wouldn't it be great to start building your leadership skills now? So when you get that manager role, you have them to fall back on. So you don't have to lead perhaps by force or do this because I say so. It's because you've built those influential skills all along your career. But, you know, I think for me that, you know, and me and the women that I talk to, it's, it's absolutely true that, that there comes a point in a career, maybe they've missed out on a promotion just one too many times. And they took a really good hard look in the mirror and they say, you know what? I can't change the game. I can't change me. And they put intention around developing. I love that because you're controlling what you can control. You can't control other people, but you can control yourself. Taking that step, though, does mean getting past the rejection. Why is that so hard? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well, I need a couch to lie down and talk about this. (laughs) You can recline. We'll we'll recline. I mean, ego, ego. I mean, we're always working overtime to protect ourselves from pain and setback, yet um, how we process those experiences is so powerful. We talk a lot about confidence in Spark because it's one of those mental games that you're in every single day. We used to think of, you know, when Courtney and I started our company and we're thinking about this concept of confidence, we thought it was a skill like, you know, you just do it more and you can get better at it, like golf, perhaps, or I don't know if any. <laughs> I, I never get better at golf. <laughs> Maybe math. Maybe if you just practice <laughs> math, <laughs> they're fine. You get better at balancing, you know, your, your, your books a little bit better, but confidence is an emotion. And that explains why it can waver on any given day, especially when you need it the most. And so as we think about growing and developing our, you know, our leadership skills, we can't ignore confidence. You talked earlier about, you know, we shy away from additional opportunities, especially if we've gotten, you know, rejection in the past. But confidence is that thing that will help get your head straight. And there's four, you know, I say four simple ways of developing it, but really they're simply stated. The real work comes when you're in the moment developing them. Well, we are going to go through those four things, and we're, we're going to go through the elements of leadership as well. Let me just take a moment, though, to remind everybody that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. Fidelity is focused on helping women like us take charge of our financial lives, and that's why they've put resources behind allowing us, allowing me and people like Angie Morgan, to have these important conversations. Because if we are going to not only be leaders ourselves in this world, but start to raise leaders in our daughters and our granddaughters, we need to know how to do it. So, Visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one with Angie. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married or divorced or starting a new career or angling for that promotion. And again, that's fidelity.com slash it's time. All right. So you have decided you're going to find your spark. And you write in the book, Angie, that there are 
six key elements of leadership that need to be demonstrated consistently. Let's talk about some of those. You've got character at the top of the list. And for us, it was very important to put that at the top of the list because if people don't trust you and, you know, you build trust partly by being who you say you are and letting your values, you know, manifest, then there's just no relationship there. And without a relationship, you're not able to influence people. And so we talked a lot about, um, you know, how to think about character, when to think about character. I think the reality of many of us are just so busy that we don't spend time thinking like, gosh, what are my values and how are they showing up in my life or where aren't they showing up in my life? And the thing about values that I find interesting is that the more close you are to them, the more they serve as self-fulfilling prophecies. And that work is really important. If we want, I mean, I don't think anybody out there says, you know what, I want to lack integrity. It's something that we all strive to achieve, but you got to do that soul searching to understand what are those values and, and where are they showing up? The second element is credibility. And and there is a big credibility gap with a lot of people in this country. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's interesting. What I find about interesting about credibility is that um I can only influence my credibility. You, you know, Jean or your listeners, you all hold really just the keys to whether or not I'm credible. And you all, everyone else has different definitions of what makes, you know, somebody like me credible. And so as a leader, I have to work really hard just to understand what I'm being measured up against. One of those, what do you people want from me moments? Yeah. I guess, because I think like we all, you know, again, we all can do the things in our working environment or, you know, there's some certain expectations that we can just assume. Like if I go to work, you know, I need to show up on time. There's a dress code that I need to adhere to. There's my job description. I need to do that. But we also know that some of the things that we're being measured on and by other people aren't bright lined in those areas. So we have to work at it. We really need to think about what makes us credible and what is that bar and how do we meet it and what can we do to succeed it? Because then, again, people start to believe you and they trust you. I think about this all the time, actually. I mean, I, I know and have spent so many years trying to not only be credible, but I think it's at the heart of what I feel like I do in presenting financial information. It is so important to me that it's right and that it's trustworthy and that it comes from good sources. And, you know, I mean, we're talking about people's livelihoods. And so you you have to be credible. Third on the list, accountability. I, I think that's a big one for women. Do you find in general we're we take too much accountability for outcomes? I hear this, you know, it's funny. I hear that a lot with women. Sometimes I take on too many of the people's problems and feel responsible for them. And so I think that that's, um, I think that's very valid and true. And maybe that leads to worrying and perhaps worrying too much. I think about the nature of accountability because it's interesting um, what I hear in businesses, how it's used to describe. You think about people, you're going to be held accountable, like it's a negative thing. The reality is accountability is the gateway to solution. But it's really hard sometimes to be accountable because we all experience missteps or mistakes or rejection and those things that haunt us that we perhaps aren't the most likely to talk about. But for us to gain control of it and to do something about it, we have to just be honest. We have to own our challenges, control what we can control, and just, you know, 
put plans in place to improve upon them. And so I think that it's one that it's easy to understand the word, but to demonstrate it, because especially when we have to demonstrate it, we're not in always the most positive place. It's one of the toughest things to do. You, you write about being of service and meeting the needs of other people. What is service-based leadership as you define it? That was, was probably one of the greatest takeaways I, as a leader, got from the Marine Corps. It's the foundation of the Marine Corps' leadership style. I think, you know, when you think about Marines fighting for our country, you'd like to think that they're all in for the, our country. And absolutely they are, but they're really fighting for the person to the left of them and to the right of them. Um, even before perhaps their own needs are met, which is why they have such courage, you know, for why I say one of the few reasons why they have so much courage in those difficult moments. It's because they're there for their team. And so we talk about service-based leadership is how do you get there as an individual where you can pull a group of individuals together to create a team? And the answer is really, how do you serve them? How do you make sure that their needs are met before your own needs are met? Because that is ultimately service, working for the people around you, prioritizing their needs and helping them move up, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs so they can be freer, more independent and more successful because of you. Again, I just want to sort of poke at this one a little bit. Do, mm-hmm. do women, do we put others ahead of ourselves too often? <laughs> yeah, like sure, I'll lend you that a hundred dollars, and I have that, that gives nothing for me to left in the bank. Yeah, I think so. I think that there are things that we as women do to overserve. There's nothing about service that means that you deprive yourself. I mean, thinking about women and just the reality of our lives, we have to think about ways we can only give as much as we have. And so we do have to take care of ourselves. And there's a distinction too that we need to be very mindful of. Being of service to others doesn't mean that we coddle them, doesn't mean that we pamper them or baby them. You know, thinking about coddling you know, lowering a standard or an expectation to meet somebody's where they're at. No, service is about having a really high standard and expectation and coaching and developing to get them up to that bar. I wish you could see my hands. It makes perfect sense if this was a live interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I totally get you because I'm, I'm envisioning scenarios where I remember getting frustrated, you know, seeing certain kids growing up where I felt like their parents didn't expect enough of them. You have to expect a lot, particularly from your children. Otherwise, you're letting them down. Yeah, absolutely. There was a great article I was reading yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. It was about the concept of adulting. Uh-huh. I saw I, it too. Did you read yeah. it? Yeah. I was just fascinated by that, that, um, you know, again, apparently there is a trend in our society, whereas we're letting younger kids, perhaps because we coddle and pamper them too much, um, off the hook for some of these responsibilities. When, you know, I ask a lot of people, gosh, do you want your kids living with you until they're 40? Nobody <laughs> shakes their head. Yes. And so how do we then empower them? And I think that's the key to service. It's like, I am here to empower you. I'm, you know, I'm not going to tie your shoes for you every morning. You're 10. You could do it out of yourself. You should be able to do this by yourself. Yeah, exactly. Finally, let's just hit confidence. You said there are four elements. Yeah, there are. And again, they're easy 
to, um, you know, it, it's easy to talk about and read about, but confidence is something that only you yourself can develop. I'll talk about the high level of the four of them, but I'd like to talk about one which I think is really particularly important for women. So we talk about experiencing your success, which is different than achieving, where I think we're all very achievement oriented. So it's not collecting gold stars. It's really like when you do have that moment, when you did something significant, maybe you did hit a financial goal, maybe you paid off a credit card, maybe you earned that promotion. What are you doing internally to acknowledge that you yourself did that? Um, because what's very typical for women is to feel like their success isn't theirs, that they were just right place and right time. When in reality, it's internal. You have to own it because you need that to, to build off for your next you know, feet that you're about to tackle. So that's really key. Developing positive self appraisals is another confidence building emotion. And this is straight up self-talk as cheesy as it sounds. But when you're, you know, thinking about rejection or setback or disappointment, what are you saying to yourself? Oh, crap. I should never have done that again. I can't believe I was so stupid. No, it's like you got to be on your side. You're the only one who can be on your side. And so really paying attention to internal dialogue. And then the third one is surrounding yourself with positive role models. Mm -hmm. you know, we surround ourselves with so many people. We have no hand in choosing who's come into our life. How many of those people do we let influence our powerful, important opinion of ourselves? Because if it's anyone and everyone, we're going to be on a confidence roller coaster. Then the final one is just managing those confidence killing emotions like fear, worry, or insecurity. I think we all have insecurities. Yet, what do we do to build ourselves up in those moments? We just have to pay attention to what's going on in our mind and figure out a way to get on our side quite quickly. And I think it's really important when you're comparing yourself to other people, and we all do this, you got to figure out some way to make yourself feel better rather than worse. Um, exactly. And there, are, a there are a lot of different examples that, that I could pull out of the air here. But think about ways in which you can shine a positive light on yourself. Angie Morgan, the book is Spark, How to Lead Yourself and Others to Greater Success. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you for having me, Jean. My pleasure. Kelly's with me in the Hello. studio. Hello. I was interested in the discussion that you guys had about women being too selfless or too willing to help because I I can relate to it. I you know, I I think we've talked about this before too, like we love helping people. Uh so much so that sometimes we do too much and therefore we don't leave enough time and enough uh of our own resources for ourselves. You know, Elliot, um, my husband, mm -hmm. sometimes thinks that I say yes to things too quickly. Mm -hmm. So he was reading The Undoing Project, which is Michael Lewis's new book, about the research of Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, who were pioneers in the world of behavioral finance. And he Xeroxed a, <laughs> a piece of paper and he put it on our magnetic board in the kitchen and it goes something like, and Michael, if I'm misquoting, I apologize, but it, it it's the start of a chapter and it starts with an anecdote that Amos liked to believe if you were asked to do anything, go to a party, give a speech, lift a finger, <laughs> you should not say yes that day. 
that you should absolutely wait until the following day and that you'll be surprised at how many of those invitations don't look as good by the next morning. Oh, that's good. It's good, right? It's I love really the good. lift a finger line. That actually yes. is verbatim. And um, yeah, I was trying to get Michael Lewis to come on the show to talk about the book. So maybe we can go back to that and try again. But, absolutely. Um, I think it's a good skill to have, knowing how to kick the can 24 hours, kind of like we talk about the purchasing pause. Mm -hmm. You know, don't buy it. Think about if you're still thinking about it the next day. That is so good. And then I wonder over time if you're practicing this, when you do have that gut reaction to say yes, like it's so strong that you have to say it immediately, then I think you now have a new gauge of what you really care about and what you really want to do with your time. Yeah. Yeah, Love it's hard. It. It's, so it's hard. hard. It's so hard. All right, what do we have? Questions. First question is from Melissa. She says, my employer offers its employees the ability to invest in a simple IRA retirement plan with a 3% match. There are many mutual funds I can invest in for no fee. I can also invest in any fund on the market for a $25 fee. I am overwhelmed by the number of mutual funds I can invest in and have no idea which ones to choose. How do I build a diversified portfolio? What percentage should be in a large cap versus small cap versus global? Or should I simplify things and invest everything in a target date fund? I'm 29 and contributing the max of 12500 each year to my simple IRA. Well, first of all, good for you mm -hmm. for contributing that much money. At that rate of savings, you're going to be great going forward. I would go target date um, because clearly you're thinking about all the different dimensions of these funds. And the other way to simplify is to figure out what percentage of your assets you want in stocks versus fixed income bonds and cash and put that stock component in two thirds, a total stock market index fund, and maybe one third an international fund, and then a total bond market index fund for the rest. Mm. And then you have to rebalance that year after year after year to keep your risk in line with your age, which goes down as you get older. So those are two simple ways to do it. What people don't understand about mutual funds is that there are, I don't know if there are quite as many mutual funds as there are stocks, but there are a lot of mutual funds, and it is no easier to pick a managed mutual fund than it is to pick an individual stock. It takes work. So the target date route, if you're attracted to it, I think is a good way to go, although it is a little more expensive than index funds. I am totally missing something here. So I'm thinking of my Roth IRA yep. and traditional IRAs, which have these caps of 5,500 and 6,500 if you're 50 or older. Oh, she's got a simple. So what she, is this? Simple is a retirement plan for the self-employed. Oh. You are not eligible for no, one. No, I am not. Okay. I was like, well, should I be doing this? To put away more money? Right. Well, but no, well no, because I have, I'm gainfully employed by you, but I was wondering if like I missed the mark on an IRA that I could be putting more money in. No. Okay. You have not. All right. So this is for self-employed individuals. Could, you could nudge, nudge, be putting more into your 401k. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> hey, I recently increased. I know you did. Yeah. 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 So there. So there. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Our next question is from Valerie, who recently discovered the podcast and says she absolutely loves hearing about women and money. 
Thank you, Valerie. She writes, my question is about setting up a Roth IRA for my kids. My kids, ages nine and six, recently started a Hawaiian shaved ice business where they are selling shaved ice around the neighborhood and at the nearby park that holds community baseball games. They are making about $80 a day. Thank you, Arizona Heat, and shout out to Arizona. That's where I'm from. The purpose of the business is to teach them about running a business, managing money, and work ethic. They are loving it. Is it a smart idea for the kids to start a Roth IRA since this is earned income, or should their savings go into a college? savings plan. Wow. Mm-hmm. Good for them. That and cool. I hope you have to save this because every once in a while we need teenagers who mm-hmm. have a business for Your Money Magazine, which is the the magazine that we do yeah. for our schools. They're nine and six. I know. That's awesome. I, that, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can really lose, actually, with the Roth IRA because you can use the money in the Roth IRA for education without penalty. And so go for it with the Roth unless there is some sort of a state tax deduction that you get for contributing to a 529 college savings plan in your state. It's really a bit of a wash with this. It might be easier now that I'm sort of thinking it through to go the 529 route because many college savings plans have age-based portfolios that you can just put the money in. Thinking about our, our previous letter about asset allocation and distribution you know if you do if you go with the Roth you can invest it in any way you want but there are in many 529s these preset portfolios that are often quite excellent so I'd look at the ratings of Arizona's plan Morningstar rates these mm-hmm. sorts of plans as does savingforcollege.com but go kids go that's kids. amazing and thank you Valerie for writing in and our final question is from Kath she sent you a message on Facebook she writes I have two teenagers one is in ninth grade and the other is in seventh grade and I have two small savings accounts for them about six thousand dollars each I'm concerned about college education and I'm not sure if 529s make sense at this point. What do you think? What other options are there in my situation? Please advise. I don't know why 529s wouldn't make sense. I mean, the other option, as we just discussed, is the Roth IRA. But you don't have to invest the money aggressively. The closer you get to college, the less aggressive you want to be. If you think about it, the closer you get to any goal, whether it's retirement, college, down payment for a house, the less aggressive you want to be because you don't want the markets to tumble and for you to lose a chunk of what you were counting on to pay next year's tuition. However, you can still perhaps capitalize on that state tax deduction. You can put the money to work in an age-based portfolio that's more conservative. So there are many different things to do. Plus, you shouldn't be looking at it just as the road up to college. It's the road through college. So I continued to contribute to 529s for my kids, even while they were in. Mm. Okay, great. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. And speaking of savings for your kids' college education, if you're feeling lost about how much to save, our sponsor, Fidelity Investments, has a new savings guideline for parents, and it's really simple. Multiply your child's age by $2,000. This $2,000 plan should keep you on track to cover half the cost of a four-year public university. It means you'd have around $36,000 by the time your kid turns 18. The rest of tuition could come from financial aid, student loans, family earnings, i.e. cash flow. And remember, this is just a benchmark. 
We like benchmarks because they give us something to aim for, but it's important for you to modify it based on your own unique financial situation. And if you've got ground to make up, do not panic. Remember, put your retirement first because there isn't any financial aid for that. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Angie Morgan for a terrific conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at iTunes and leave us a review. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And coming up next week, my friend David Bach is in the house. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Automatic Millionaire. He has updated and revised it, and he took a long sabbatical. He's going to be here to tell us about all of that. We'll talk soon.